2: Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh at Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions, anything that's on your heart. All you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. And if, in fact, um, you have another way, it's our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're in your car today, be careful because it's wet out there. Uh, You can use uh, the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of your screen. Everything else can be hands-free and you will be um, connected directly to our studio producer. Um, Tomorrow, of course, is the date-date edition. That means beautiful Paula will be live in the studio with me. And um, in addition to that, um, we're going to be tonight in the Old Testament, Genesis, Genesis chapter 20. It's a chapter a lot of people just sort of read through and don't really pay much attention to, but it is absolutely rich in application for us. So that's going to be tonight. You can join us. We don't uh, usually have big crowds on Wednesday night. Uh, and if, um, if you'd rather watch it online, you can go to CalvarySA.com. Okay, 340 let's get to my first question, it is from Zach, and he said, First John 5 talks about sin that leads to death, what is that? Zach, this is a passage of scripture that people have been wondering about, sometimes arguing about, um, from, r- really, since John wrote it, It's it's... Uh, We don't have the insight into his mind what he was uh, thinking when he wrote it as the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to do it. Uh, Let me read the passage of Scripture. It's verse 16 in 1 John chapter 5. It says, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray, and God will give him life. But there is a sin. He says, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, I'm not saying that he should pray about that. A couple of things. The context here is prayer in this passage. Uh, You go up a couple of verses, and and the context is, is, is praying. So what we want to do is understand in context that John is talking still in verse 16 about praying for wayward brothers and sisters. When he says at the beginning of verse 16, if anyone sees, not hears or hears about, But if you have visual proof that you have a brother who's committing a sin, um, then we need to pray, and and our prayers will be answered by God, and God will not only forgive, but give that brother life. Um, Praying for wayward brothers and sisters is something that we all ought to be doing. Um, The problem is the rest of the verse. When we talk about there is a sin that leads to death... Uh, and then John says, I'm not saying that you should pray about that. What does he mean? And um, John is evidently speaking about a situation that his readers are familiar with. Because there's no background. We're not given any details, Zach, or nor an adequate explanation. And I think for good reason. It's almost as though he wrote something Um, um, as as he realized it might confuse his readers, uh, he tries to explain it without spending too much time on it. Now, this cannot refer to spiritual death, some commentators would suppose, because he's addressing brothers in the Lord. That's really important. In fact, in the last uh, chapter, verse 4, he says that we're coming to love our brothers. So this is praying in love. So John is simply saying, that if you see someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ who commits sin, then pray for him. Say something to him, but pray for him as well. And when he says that there is a sin uh, that does not lead to death, all wrongdoing is sin, that's the normal course of things. So uh, whether this is physical death in a literal context, and I personally, exact believe it is, um, is is up for debate. And, and let me just give you a simple explanation from my own experience. I have seen Christians who committed such grievous sins walking away from the Lord and they suddenly died. And I don't mean instantly on the spot when they sinned, but I've seen their health take severe, significant turns for the worse. I've seen people who were otherwise healthy Um, get sicker and sicker and sicker until they die. And it's almost like God in his mercy is taking them out before, before they sin um, beyond God's ability to repair. Again, if we're saved, we're his, we're sealed with a deposit. So this isn't about losing salvation, but I think there's times when God protects us from ourselves, and in this case, um, they pay with their physical life. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, as he rebukes them in the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, he says to them, um, um, to, to partake of communion in an unworthy manner has caused some of you to be sick, even led some of you to die. So I think God, in his mercy, is protecting us from going too far, and he takes them out. Now that is a controversial positions act but I can't explain it any other way. Hope that helps. Here's a question from Donald. He says, Can God hear our prayers when we only pray them silently or must we say them out loud? Donald, God uh, answers unspoken prayers. Uh, the psalmist writes, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So, so when we're worshiping God or when we're praying um, from those desires that he's placed into our heart, Uh, Those are prayers that God not only hears, but He delights to answer. So we don't have to pray them out loud. Now, for me personally, Donald, praying out loud helps me keep my mind from wandering. So when I'm walking with the Lord, uh, I'm talking out loud to Him. Um, But if you are more comfortable praying silently within yourself, then He has no problem hearing those prayers and answering. God is uh, everywhere. God is all powerful. God is all knowing. And uh, we don't have to worry about whether or not He's going to hear our prayers. Paula, once uh, at a faith church that I took her to when I first got saved, she heard the pastor say, Well, no, you got to, when you pray, say, is what Jesus said. So you got to say them out loud. You get in a faith that has nothing to do with that at all. So I don't know what the genesis of your question is. But you can pray them silently. You can pray them um, vocally, outwardly. Um, and God is going to hear them. If you're praying in the will of God, if you're praying from the heart of God, they are prayers that are going to be answered. And when God begins answering prayers, I promise you, you will be so blessed. You'll want to keep praying. Good question, Donald. Thank you. Here's a question from Sam. He says, Pastor Ron, do you believe Samson was saved? Um, Sam, we know he was. He's in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, Now, you couldn't tell Samson was saved by the life he lived. But here's another good example of God being the author and the finisher of our faith. And it doesn't matter whether it's in an Old Testament context or in the New Testament. Uh, Samson is a story of wasted potential. Samson's a story of a man who broke God's heart. He broke his family's heart. Uh, He didn't care about other people. Samson was was all for Samson. He was controlled by lust. He was controlled uh, by selfish, carnal desires. And yet he was given this magnificent gift of strength by God as he was chosen by God to be the protector of his people in the book of Judges. Now, Again, you look at the way he lived his life and you think there's no way this guy can be saved. And and we can be excused for thinking that. But see, God is the one who completes the work he began. And it was God who brought Samson to a place being humbled. You know, one of the... Actually, there's two of, of the saddest verses in all of our scriptures that apply to Samson. It was when... Um, uh, Delilah convinced him and tied him and he thought he would as at other times break the ropes and and rout his enemies Um, but it says but the Holy Spirit departed from him and he knew it not what a tragedy that is the other sad part is at the end when the Philistines capture him and they put out his eyes and then they make him grind the, the grain on the threshing floor, and in other words, he's 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 doing the job of an ox or a horse. And said so they were making sport of him; they were making fun at his expense, laughing at him. And in that horrible ending, he was finally humbled by God enough. I and mean, this is a great object lesson, lesson, Sam. Um, humble yourselves before God has to do it. He was finally humbled enough that he. Even though he couldn't see physically, he looked to the heavens and said, God, give me strength one more time, and then we know the story. He, in his death, killed more Philistines than he had in the rest of his life. But make no mistake, he was saved. Aren't you glad that we don't have to be perfect? That God doesn't throw a fit every time that we do something fleshy or carnal? To glad that he doesn't say you've gotten on my last nerve I can't take it anymore he was so patient with Samson and even though we had to humble him Samson at the end demonstrated who he really was and I love knowing that God is faithful even when we are faithless his will is always going to be accomplished and Samson's um, God's will for Samson was that he protect his people, the Israelites, and he did that by by murdering or killing the Philistines. Good question. Samson is a sad, sad story. Let's go to Castroville and talk with John on line one. John, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
3: How are you doing, Pastor Ron?
2: John, I'm doing really well. It's good to hear from you again.
3: Yes, sir. It's been a little while since we've talked, and the reason for my call is two reasons. One, I want to let you know I've been listening to you since the twenty seventh of August of two thousand
2: twelve. Oh, uh, <laughs> my goodness! Thank when you. When I started
3: going back to church, and I've really grown over the years. But you know, the the reason I'm calling is over the last several months, I've heard Reuben from Seguin, Texas, call in, and mm-hmm. months ago, months ago, I recall he was in severe physical pain, mm-hmm. and. I find it amazing that when you get in the word, I've noticed he's asked several questions about the word and his voice sounds so joyful. <laughs> and I just wanted to make that statement. That's what I see out or hear out here in the um in the radio land. And I just wanted to make a statement about that.
2: John, thank you. That's so kind of you. God bless you. God bless you. You know, um, um, it's This is a, an act of kindness. When John calls, uh, I'm sure he's encouraging Reuben right now, and, and it's always encouraging to me to know that, that God is doing a work through the radio program here. And Reuben is one of those guys, he, he sort of grew up in a Pentecostal church background where there was really no uh, emphasis on the word. Reuben is a worship leader himself, so he's a really gifted guy. Um, but you know, emotions can only carry you so long. And for a long time now, I think Reuben's been calling um nearly as long as John has. and um, um, we've we've encouraged Reuben to get into the word, and you can tell by his voice when he calls, whether or not he's been the Word, because then it's the Spirit of God working through the Word of God that's encouraging him. And uh, Reuben is doing well. Thank all of you for your prayers. His father, he said in our last call last week, was was getting better as well. And uh, Reuben is just like the rest of us. As long as we stay close to Jesus, as long as we stay in the Word of God, then we're going to be strong enough to fight the battles. And the truth is... It doesn't matter how much you know. If you're not going to stay close to Jesus, when the uh, enemy comes and begins to pound us, then um, we're we're simply going to be uh, unable to stand um, as the Lord wants us to. Uh, So it's connected to the Word of God. And we get a lot of emails and, and phone calls here about Reuben. So many people are praying for him. Imagine, John, how encouraging that is when somebody like you picks up the phone and takes time to call. Good call. Thank you very much. we got a bunch of encouragers in our audience in this show, and I'm really grateful for that. Jennifer says, how can we be sure that we are in God's will? Jennifer, finding the will of God, you know, we we mysticize it. Uh, we um, uh, We want formulas, you know, how can I know? And there is somewhat of a formula in Romans chapter 12, it says, in view of God's mercy, um, brothers, I urge you to offer your bodies in, uh, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God. Uh, then you will know the perfect, pleasing, acceptable will of God. Now you've also got to renew your mind in the Word of God. So if you do those two things, if you're, you're, you're surrendered to the Lord and you're in the Word, you're doing what it says, you're being obedient then you can't miss being in God's will. Now, Jennifer, here I think is the problem uh, with um, most of the questions like this I get. Uh, We have a tendency, uh, especially as we're just humans with our Western perspective, that God's will is one day we're going to get it delivered to us, you know, like an email, or, or we're going to see it in a dream, or an angel's going to appear to us, or some other person is going to say, thus saith the Lord, and, and we're going to respond to that prophecy. You know, um, learning what the will of God is, is a process that takes a long time. I've been saved for 29 years, 29 and a half years now, and I can tell you, Jennifer, that... Um, The key for me to being in the will of God is to be with Jesus every day. To be with Him. Not just be a Christian, but to be with Him in relationship. When I'm walking with Jesus, when I'm talking to Him throughout the day, then I know I'm in His will, because if I wasn't in His will, then I wouldn't be able to to hear Him. And again, I'm not talking about hearing an audible voice, but I wouldn't be able to hear Him. And so I walk with Him every single day and then when the enemy wants to lie to me uh, i think most of you in the radio audience know some uh, months ago we had a covid-19 outbreak here at the church and and i believe with all of my heart i was in the will of god god didn't want to close the church um and i with all of my heart i believe it and then the circumstances start occurring and people start pointing fingers well you know you shouldn't have church or some say well you should have done more to social distance those kind of things and um, uh, the enemy started piling on me. And when I went to the Lord in prayer, Paul and I one day, Saturday, we took a really long walk. And we're really, Lord, if, if, if we're out of your will, I'm sorry, we'll fix it, tell me. And here's what he said, Jennifer. He spoke to my heart. And he said, you were with me yesterday? You were with me the day before, and the day before that. That was the point he was making. How can I not be in his will today? There's no unrepentant sin in my life. How can I not be in his will? And Paul and I, we knew that day we took that walk that we were going to be okay. Now, there was still a lot of pain. As it turned out, Paul and I, we got COVID-19 ourselves. But you see, I could shut the door for the enemy lying to me and accusing me. Because to be in the will of God is to be with Jesus, and if you're with Jesus, you're in the will of God. Now, I know that's redundant, but it's really important. And so the next day I got up and I offered my body to Jesus again. I know I'm in His will. And here's the key, Jennifer, when you're walking with Jesus, you can't miss His will for your life. Now, I didn't start out as a pastor but I walked right into the middle of his will being a pastor by being with him every day. I have people that will say things like, well, how do I know what God's will is for me regarding a husband or regarding a wife? Well, if you walk with Jesus every day, you're going to walk right into his will, whether it's to be single or to be married. And I think we're looking for too much information. My older son, who's a believer, God bless him. You know, he's waiting for some... Sign in the sky. I keep telling him it's not going to happen that way. Just be with Jesus, and then we grow in the grace and knowledge of both God, who He is, and of God's will for our life. So, Jennifer, if you can get up in the morning like I do and say, Jesus, today of my own free will, I choose to serve you not by might nor by power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. If you can get up every day and do that and then start walking with Jesus first thing in the morning and stay with him all day, you can be 100% positive you're in his will. So be with Jesus, be in the word, be obedient, and you will be in his perfect will. Good question. Thank you, Jennifer. A lot of these concepts of being in God's will, hearing the voice of God, you know, we, 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 we overly mystify them. They're, they're, God doesn't make it difficult. He knows that he's not working with much in terms of material. So he says, how about this? And here Jesus said this to his disciples. My sheep know my voice. I call them by name and they follow me. That, Jennifer, and everybody else in this audience is the key to knowing and being in the will of God. Just be with Jesus. Now, he let me know I was going to be a pastor. That's all he let me know. Four years later, Paul and I were on our way to San Antonio, Texas, a place we'd never been, to start a church. He led us every step of the way. And in the same way, he'll lead each one of you. Here is an anonymous question. I'm going to hold that till after the break. That might take a little bit more time than I've got. Richard's question says, Do you recommend Gruden's systematic theology? I I really don't, Richard. Now, Wayne Gruden is a really smart guy. But remember, he is a Calvinist. And he has taken his Calvinist systematic theology and sort of imposed it on the Bible. And so his systematic theology is, uh, is coming through that filter. So I really don't recommend uh, Gruden or anybody else really for systematic theology. Um, what I think is much better is you read the Bible, let the Holy Spirit develop your systematic theology uh, as you study you know, one of the the good things, it wasn't good as it played out in my life, but it's good as it played out over the years here as a pastor, is I wasn't raised in church. I had never opened a Bible. Um, uh, my grandma dragged me to church a couple times when I was really, really small, and I hated every second of it. But the point is, I had no baggage. When I got saved, I knew nothing you know, I'd be so intimidated, people would start singing hymns and everybody knew the old hymns. I don't know any of the old hymns. I, I, you know, you quote psalms and they start, start quoting psalms. I, remember, I didn't know anything like that. So when I got saved, all I had to do was open the Bible and it, and it just it began to make sense to me. And I developed my systematic theology on the basis of what I was learning from the Bible itself. And that's so very, very important for us, Richard, Um, because if I determine that Gruden systematic theology is what I'm going to find out, then I'm either going to be a mess or a Calvinist or confused or maybe all three because the Bible doesn't fit in these neat little corners that we try to stuff it into. So, again, Gruden's not a bad guy. Gruden is a Christian. Uh, I know a lot of people love his systematic theology. The problem with it is that he imposes his Calvinist view on the Scriptures instead of letting the Scriptures impose themselves on the view that we're ultimately going to develop. It's just much better to read the Word, learn it, study it, Um, get your questions answered, read some commentators, and then sort of wrestle with the scriptures yourself. I think we spend far too much time reading what other people say the Bible means instead of reading the Bible and letting the Holy Spirit lead us. He is the one that we're told will lead us into all truth. Our commentators have their place. It's great. But we need to learn to be workmen, workwomen rightly dividing the word of God. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate the question. Well we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 3409585 or toll-free 877-630KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes.
0: If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to KSLR at gmail.com. That's KSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back back to the program, 340-9585. And forgive me, Reuben, I almost said speaking of the devil, but you're not the devil. You're my friend. Reuben from Seguin is on line one. Reuben, thanks for calling. That's funny
1: that's funny no but i would never take it as an insult um <laughs> uh, you, i i do consider you a friend but i respect you as a pastor as well also um actually i just wanted to call because jonathan uh touched my heart i i didn't know that i had listeners that 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 uh thought of me highly like that you know not, not that I'm lifting up my my collar, you know. Not, not that I'm, you know. It's, I can't. I mean, because in Spanish, that's what it says: levantar el cuello, which means you lift up your collar in a prideful way. And that's not what I'm doing. Um, but I never looked. I never had the chance to to look at me through other people's eyes. And <laughs> when he, you know what I mean. And when when he said what he said. I was sitting there because I'm listening to you, and I'm sitting there. And then God told me, says, Look through His eyes. Look at what He sees, and He knows what you're going through. And, and, I mean, don't boast for weight because God is the only one that does this. It's not me, it is God. And, um, I'm actually. I was interviewed yesterday morning uh, from a guy from KSLR that has a show on Sundays at 5:30 called. Uh, um, oh, it's I uh, forgot what it's called, but it's gonna be it's gonna be aired this Sunday at 5:30 on KSLR. Uh, uh, fantastic! Oh, I can't remember the name of it. It's with Mike Hernandez.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: know if you he is but anyways i'm gonna
2: i I don't know mike
1: uh yeah well it's he he heard about my testimony and about what happened to my brother and my dad and he wanted to um to interview me and it was the same thing no matter what i'm going through no matter how bad my body hurts no matter how bad my body aches in the morning just to wake up the enemy tells me, "Ah, oh, you don't have to pray. God knows that that, that, hmm. that you, know, you know." But I'm like, "No, I'm gonna pray. I'm and 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 I pray." But bottom line is this: Well, what he said it really, Jonathan. What he said, Jonathan. If you're still listening out there, Jonathan, I want to tell you thank you for what you said because it lifted me up. It lifted me up, not in a boastful way, not in a boastful way, but it made me see myself through. God's eyes and how other people see me. And that really, really blessed me. And a a huge part of it, a huge part of it is because of Pastor Ron, but a major part of it is because of God. And I know that you will understand that, Pastor Ron, that God has a major part to do with this, and then you have a huge part to do with this. Not belittling (laughs) what you do, not belittling it, but. Yeah, I know
2: you understand what I mean by that. Yeah, I do, Ruben. Thanks a lot. You know, Ruben, you've got, you've got quite a fan club. You've got a lot of people praying for you. I get emails and, and people will stop me in the streets sometimes or restaurants and say, so, hey, how's Ruben doing? We've been praying for him. And um, and see, that's good. You bear your soul. And nobody who's ever listened to you on this program would ever think you were lifting up your collar with pride, whatever that Spanish phrase is. Um, um, your humility is the reason that God can can touch your heart. So God bless you. I'll try to listen um, if I can remember. I'm getting old, but I'll try to listen to your interview. Just remember um, that that there are always people watching. Paula, she she always tells me, people are always watching Ron. So, you know, you've got to be aware. you to got to protect your witness and uh, make sure we don't compromise our walk with the Lord. And uh, Ruben, our, our audience has been through a lot with you. And um, God has placed you in a whole bunch of people's hearts. So God bless you, my friend. I'll, I will try my best to listen to the interview. Thank you for calling. 340-9585. Here is a question from Scott uh, from our email inbox. It says, in John fourteen thirty thirty one, 31, when Jesus talks about the prince of this world is coming, is he referring to the time which covers from his ascension into heaven and, uh, and on, or forward, or is he referring specifically to the end times? Um, Scott, he's referring really uh, to what the disciples are going to experience as soon as they walk out of the upper room. Now, I think the context here is really, really important and I hope really encouraging. As Jesus and his disciples are leaving the upper room in John 14, the end of the chapter, he walks out and they go into um, uh, chapters 15, 16 and 17, which are so rich. But it's Jesus' last moments with them. And what he wants to do as he's preparing for his date with the cross, he wants the disciples, and by extension, he wants you and me to know that um, they needn't be afraid. They need not be afraid because he's protecting us. In in John chapter 17, he's going to pray, Father, um, um, I was here and protected them, but now that I'm leaving, you protect them. He's got them covered. And he wants him to know that they don't need to be afraid. Now here's the thing, Scott. We know they're all going they they were all afraid, but over and over he would say to them, "Don't be afraid, don't be afraid." And you see, in a matter of hours from the time he utters this in John chapter fourteen, it's going to appear to all of his disciples like the devil wins that's the the prince that he's speaking about. It's not in a positive sense but in a negative sense. But Jesus tells them in advance that the devil has no hold of him, no control of the circumstances. And even though it might look like he does, Jesus has got us. I've prepared you, he's saying to them. I've taught you. I've loved you. I've protected you. And he says, there you have peace available. Now, the reason... I wanted to go into that passage Scott was because we deal with fear because of circumstances all the time we deal with fear the next question I'm going to read that I started to get to before the break and didn't have enough time I'll do it uh, following this question Um, it's a question that people um, um, react out of fear instead of by faith now There's nothing wrong with being afraid. It's only when being afraid overrides your faith that we run into trouble. And Jesus would say to you, to me, just what he said to his disciples, don't worry. You know, what's really interesting about that to me is he started chapter 14 saying, I do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And then he, he made him a promise. I'm going to come back and get you and take you to be with me where I am. So in other words, don't fret this stuff. And then at the end, he ends the chapter with that same exhortation. You needn't be afraid. I've got this. And whatever it is that we're afraid of, in this world, whether it's um, rioters and protesting, uh, an economy that's been decimated by a response to this virus, or even if it's a virus itself. I think most people are afraid of health health complications. Jesus would say to us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And, and he's not saying you're not going to get sick. What he's saying is, look, whatever you're afraid of, I'll be there with you in it. And if we'll we'll deal with that, God will really, really meet us where we are. Well, before the question, we got a caller, so I'll take this first. Let's go to Brian on line one from San Antonio. Brian, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Uh, yes, Pastor Ron, yes. I'm calling because uh, recently a friend of mine told me that he heard a prophet, a so-called prophet, say that... Uh, the Reverend Martin Luther that, that this prophet saw the Reverend Martin Luther King in hell, and it's sh- it's so shook me. What my friend told me, I couldn't believe it. And uh, he told me that um, you know part of the reason was because of he he, he was a righteous man and he, and he loved God, but he didn't uh, you know there was some things that he messed up in life. So I, I'm just basically I'm just. I'm sure you know a lot about Martin Luther King, so I just mm-hmm. kind of want your opinion, what you think.
2: Okay, Brian, thank you. And, and I'm old enough to know a lot about Martin Luther King. Um, so, yeah, um, if Martin Luther King was ever a Christian, he is in heaven. Um, that's the, 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 for God is faithful when we're not. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And aren't you glad, Brian, that, that we don't have to be perfect? That when we mess up, uh, aren't you glad that when we drift into sin or just even outright fall into sin, aren't you glad that God is the one who sealed our salvation? So that's the short answer. Um, um, You know, there were a lot of stories. I I don't know um, whether they're true, but um, you can read them online. He was accused of being unfaithful he was accused of all kinds of things um but you see those sins if he was born again and i trust that he was um were were forgiven past present and future sins now all of that to say this is the bigger problem here tell your friend brian that there are no prophets today and he needs to be really really careful how he speaks about the children of god Um, When we listen to people who are are lying and your friends, the the, the prophet, the so-called prophet, was lying because if God did speak to him in a dream or in a vision or in a word from heaven, it would be something that would be encouraging and edifying. It wouldn't be something about somebody who died in 1968. It wouldn't be um, um, God allowing us to be able to see the eternal future of somebody else. Ephesians chapter 2 makes it really clear there are no prophets today. And anybody that tells you they're a prophet, Brian, then you need to run away from them as quickly as you can. Uh, I feel pretty certain that Martin Luther King is in heaven. Um, I realize that um, maybe he wasn't perfect, but neither am I. And Jesus is the one who made him the promise, the seal of his salvation. So please don't be shook up. Tell your friend not to listen to any prophets and um, open your Bible. You'll be protected from those kind of things. Let's go to Phyllis calling online too. Phyllis, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Oh, hello, Pastor Ron. Can you hear me clear, okay?
2: I can hear you wonderfully. I miss you.
4: I miss you guys, too. Of course, I was there Sunday. Give Paula my mm-hmm. love. <laughs> I had a couple of questions. I was in second Peter this morning. Um, 117. Is Peter talking about witnessing God's glory from the baptism of Christ? And also... Um, I understand, like Ephesians, is somewhere in Ephesians say, uh, "For we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, the rulers of this mm-hmm. dark world." I keep hearing over and over something behind this COVID, uh, more so than the virus itself. And I just want to know what is your uh, your input on that. And I appreciate uh, you know you answering. And, and uh, love you guys. And I'll listen thank, you, the Phyllis.
2: thank and, you, Phyllis. Thank you, Phyllis. Uh, let me answer the the first question to you. When, when Peter's talking about the glory, he's talking about the man of transfiguration. Uh, Peter and John both make it really clear in their writings that that was a moment in time that changed their, their life forever. It was something they never forgot. We were with him on that mountain, and we saw his glory. Remember, they saw him turn whiter than any white that that is, is available on, on planet Earth. Uh, as a glory of God, who he was, the God-man, came out so they could see him. So they were talking about that glory, uh, both he and John, who were eyewitnesses. And they're talking about seeing his glory on that mountain. Now, the, the other question. Um, one of the things we've got to understand here, Phyllis, is that the, the enemy uh, can huff and puff and threaten the world, but he can't afflict us with physical illness so um, there's, there's no suggestion that this virus is uh, uh, that, that, that he caused it or that he, he foisted it upon the world now having said that uh, in fact let me, let me say one other thing only two times in scripture we told that Satan was given the power to afflict somebody physically Job and of course the Apostle Paul in both times the, he did so, the devil did so, with the full blessing and knowledge of God. So unless Satan has God's permission to afflict us physically, he cannot do it. We blame the devil for everything. We get cancer, it's the demon of cancer. We get uh, diabetes, it's the demon of diabetes. Satan cannot do that to us. Now having said that, here's what he can do and is doing He's using this to accomplish his will. He's using this uh, epidemic, and he's doing it um, uh, to, to destroy the church. He's doing it to destroy Christians. He always capitalizes on fear, and when we respond to fear instead of responding by faith, when we give in to our fear, we've given Satan a club to beat us with spiritually. And so he's going to use it and he's going to be merciless in using it. But he did not cause it. And that's something that's really, really important. Because that way, if we get sick, we know that God is with us. So I hope that answers your question, Phyllis. It's really important that God is the one who's in control, even though at times it appears like the devil is. Fear is a big weapon in his arsenal. Here's a question that I was talking about um, that I didn't get to about reacting in fear. It's anonymous, and the, the writer says, why are so many churches refusing to meet when others are risking jail time to meet? Um, anonymous, I, I don't know the answer to the question other than it's fear. Now, we can spiritualize it. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. You know, we can say, well, you know, we're loving others and we're watching out for their health. That is the biggest dose of spiritual pablum that you'll ever see. Churches, because we're people, are afraid. And when the government tells us to do something, even when it becomes clear that the government hasn't been telling us the truth about this pandemic, when it becomes clear that their intention is to shut down churches. There's a church in Northern California. I got an update on him today. He's a Baptist preacher. He's not somebody famous. I think it's Marin County, and and uh, he's now uh, been fined um, uh, approaching a hundred thousand dollars. This isn't a big church, and the the state is trying to break them. The the county, in this case, is trying to break them to to get them to close forever and yet there's a brave man who's walking by faith who's trusting that Jesus has got him he actually believes that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church John MacArthur as I've been asked about many times on this program over the last couple of weeks um, uh, he, he was fined a silly fine today. They, they, you know, the, the city and the county have got people uh, going into his services and taking pictures. And they took a picture of a of a sign on his door that didn't meet to the letter the requirement that the county had asked for. And so they find him a1,000 dollars and threaten to find him thousand dollars for every day that's there. Now this in spite of taking him to court over and over and over, and they were losing in court when they did that. You know, the church, we're told, is the pillar and foundation of the truth. If we close, what does that say about truth? What happens to truth? The church closing our doors, it's like closing the door of hope. And for the life of me, and I'm trying not to sound judgy here, but uh, I can't imagine any pastor not opening his church. I mean, it's what we're called to do. It's who we are. And we're abandoning people who are really in need now. We're abandoning people who have been isolated. Now, you know, when this epidemic started, Anonymous, We we nobody knew what it was like. You know, there were these reports of millions of people dying in this country. Well, that simply not happened. And it started, if my memory serves, started in, in the end of February, beginning of March, and they want us to close for a short period of time, and because nobody knew what this thing was all about, we complied. But when it became clear that we weren't being told the truth, when it became clear, clear that the body of Christ was suffering because of church's closing, we had to do something if that means to defy the government, we've chosen the greater good. We must obey God rather than men. And yeah, we risk the consequences of it, but make no mistake, there's so many people hurting, so many people who are lost. I mean, this Sunday, we, uh, we had to turn people away because of the silly social distancing. We had to turn people away from the house of God. I don't know how much longer I'm even going to be able to do that. So I want you to think about this for a moment. People who came to our church this Sunday because their churches are closed. I don't care about the people. I don't want people from other people's churches. That's not the point. But why should somebody who belongs to a church have to find another church because their pastor closed the church? Makes absolutely no sense to me. I'll never understand it. And at the same time, I'll be honest with you, Anonymous, Anonymous, I get a lot of flack from it. Well, the government said we're supposed to, Romans 13 says we're to obey the government. Well, not when what the government asks us to do conflicts with what the word of God tells us to do. One more thing. I want to thank God that we live in a state where our governor and our attorney general are both born-again believers. I don't know anything about the depth of their faith. Uh, the Attorney General, I, I, I know more than I know the governor. The governor's a little bit more private. But thank God that we've got people who are born-again believers. Here in Universal City, our city manager, who we've worked with for many, many years. Now, she's she's re- relatively new to city manager's job. But um, every time we've told her what we're going to do, do what you need to do. It's okay. We're not going to do anything. It's okay. We have the city's blessing. So we're in a really unique position here, and still churches are closing. I cannot imagine why they would do that. And we all of us need to pray for the John MacArthur's, for the pastor, the Baptist pastor who's fined $1,000, for uh, Jack Hibbs, another Calvary Chapel guy, Rob McCoy, another Calvary Chapel guy, who are sort of leading this, this movement by example. They're not, not recruiting people to come alongside them, but just leading by example. We're going to open our church because we're the, the, the church of Jesus Christ and we can't close the doors. So, anonymous, uh, that's me venting a little bit of my frustration. Uh, another thing I could ask for prayer for before we move on, uh, my friend, Ken Graves, who is a pastor in Bangor, Maine, um, uh, he was in court today, haven't gotten any reports yet, um, he's actually suing his governor who has the most, she has the most draconian Um, rules and laws against churches in the United States. She was told that, or he was told that they, and this was a a communicate to all the churches, that we will enforce our rules against any church that tries to open. You are simply not permitted, doesn't matter how many people you have. And then she, she went one step further. She said that when we do reopen churches, I'm only going to allow those churches to reopen that were compliant with the first set of standards. And, and uh, my friend, it's Calvary Chapel in Bangor, Maine. Uh, we've had him out here at our church. Um, he just couldn't take it anymore. And he's risking everything. They'll probably take him away to jail if he loses this hearing today. They'll probably take him away to jail on Sunday because he's going to open. So encourage your pastor if he's closed. Encourage your pastor to open. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Remember, tomorrow is a eight day show. Paula will be live in the studio with me, and she'll be a lot more fun than I was today. But. We look forward to seeing you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.